This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. And this edition, you're going to love this. We've got Bruce Bochy coming on. We're going to talk to the three-time World Series champion. Eno Saris did an unbelievable article about some of the technology going on in college baseball is better than what's even going on in Major League Baseball. We'll have our guy Ray Fossey, the face of the franchise, and Julie McWilliams, who used to cover the A's for The Athletic, now covering the Red Sox for the Boston Globe, and they've got another scandal going on. We'll check in with Julian in Beantown. But first, obviously we've been talking about it. You've heard Tony La Russa about his Raise the Roof event as they're getting a new roof for the facility for ARF in Walnut Creek, and one of the big-time names coming up to sign autographs for it is the great Bruce Bochy, a future Hall of Famer, a three-time World Series champion. Here is Bruce Bochy. Now joining us, he's one of the best managers this game has ever seen, and he is going to be there in Concord on Saturday. The great Bruce Bochy is with us. Boach, thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. You know, when, when you when you got somebody like Tony La Russa, who you've known a long, long time, you competed against him, you've known him for years, when he gives you a call, it's that baseball family where you guys are always about taking care of each other. It is, it is. And then, of course, uh, you know, with Tony, I mean, I have, you know, such a deep respect for him but uh, and a great friendship. And, uh, you know, that's... You know, that's all it takes is a call. And, and you know, I'm going to do what I can to help out. And, you know, it's a great cause, uh, you know, what we're doing here. And uh, he has a huge passion for this and, you know, for me to be able to uh, able to help out. Hey, I'm honored and I uh, look forward to it. It should be a great day. Look forward to sitting with Buster and talking uh, with him, catching up. and uh, But, you know, helping, you know, for a great cause and, uh you know, saving uh, so many animals that uh, need to be rescued. And so it's, uh, it's a special day. And, um, and we're doing it for a uh, really great, uh, just a great guy that's done so much, you know, for ARF. Yeah, we we're talking with Tony on, on Monday and, you know, their new program where they help out people who come back from the Middle East, our, 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 our troops and our soldiers who, who, who need a lot of love and a lot of care. And the program saying saving lives at both end of the leash. Not only is the animal, but but also the soldier. And so, you know, what you're doing on Saturday means so much to, to a lot of people. You know, and this is what makes it even uh, more special. And you know, the fact that uh, 
your uh, signalize that, that, you know, both ends of the leash, you know, with, you know, these veterans come back that, you know, a lot of them have, you know, PTSD, uh, they need some help. And, uh, and I think uh, we've all had pets and, uh, and, and we know how much, uh, um, you know, love that can bring and, uh, and just the comfort that, uh, you know, a great pet will, will bring somebody. So, you know, it's just great how this is working out. They're saving these, these uh, dogs and cats, and now, you know, they come back and they help out uh, these veterans. And we should do all we can to help them, you know, with them serving our country and all they do for us. So it's just a great concept, and I just love it. And, uh, it's, uh, and you know, hey, I'm proud of Tony with uh, how he's come up with this. And, uh, you know, I I think it's the, the, the first facility uh, nationally that actually, you know, has the veterans. They can come in and actually uh, train their own dogs. You know, I think about your career. It's a long career as a player, and then, of course, as a manager. What's this offseason been like for you where you don't necessarily have to get ready for that major grind that starts in spring training? Yeah, it's all good. Uh, I've been good with it. I've been uh, spending some time with the family, uh, done some, you know, things that I normally probably you know, probably wouldn't have done as far as uh, travel. Uh, um, but it's great to have a free schedule. Uh, and well, you know, just to be able to come up and uh, help Tony out. You know, I, 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 uh, can do things, uh, now when I want, uh, I will still work with the giants. I'll still be doing stuff in baseball, but I just won't quite have the same schedule. And, uh, so I've said this, I'm, you know, hitting the pause button for, for, uh, you know, a while here, and uh, it's been good. I'm spending time with my uh, family and my grandkids. I was just up in the Bay Area for two weeks over uh, the holidays and uh, enjoyed it. Uh, but, you know, I guess I won't know how I react until we get to spring training. It's going to be different. Well, well, you are going to be managing Team France, right? I am. I am. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, I don't know what, who or what my team is, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> you know, trying to get uh, enough guys to qualify uh, uh, from France. But the tournament's in Tucson um, in March. It's uh, um, a 10-day deal. And uh, so we're uh, just starting to get it all uh, uh, together and uh, getting the rosters uh, set. So uh, my son will, will pitch for me. My brother's going to be my bench coach. And uh so it's going to be a family thing because uh, uh, my brother Joe and I both live in France. So, you know, it's a way to get back uh, on this end, too. Uh, if we can promote baseball in France and help develop, uh, you know, some players there, then, uh, you know, I feel like I'm getting back. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you guys are going to have a great time. That's going to be a lot of fun. And I just wanted to get your opinion on some of the things going on in baseball right now as the investigation continues with the Houston Astros and the electronic stealing of signs. Now the Boston Red Sox are being accused after what they did in 2017, and they were punished for the Apple Watch incident, but now supposedly they were doing it in 2018. What's your take on stealing of signs electronically? Well, I, I think it's going to happen. I mean, when you have the capability uh, uh, like you do now more than ever, uh, you know, I think you know, there are going to be players or teams that uh, uh, they're going to try to get the edge. And it's just it's just the nature of the beast here. And uh, I know baseball is trying to do all they can. Uh, 
there's an eight-second uh, delay on the TVs now in the clubhouse, so, you know, you couldn't see a pitch and, uh, you know, right away uh, relay it to the hitters. So, you know, they're doing things to, to combat it, but, uh, you know, this goes with the territory, and uh, and it's up to uh, every club. I've always felt like this, that, yeah, it's our job to hopefully make our science complicated enough to, to you know, where they can't get them that easily. But when you're able – you know, to look at uh, the signs the way they are now, you know, through, uh, uh, you know, the replay and, uh, and other sources. And that's being covered now, too, I should add. Uh, it's actually somebody watching that replay room, so they can't go in there and stare. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's just going to happen. But, uh, hey, you know, you lay down stepping up uh, penalties, uh, that, that's going to slow down that process. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, obviously you, you competed against the Oakland A's last year. Back-to-back years, the A's have won 97 games. I know you have a great relationship with our skipper, Bob Melvin. You know, you lose two straight years in the wild card game, but now you're bringing your core back. Your pitching's as strong as ever. If you could give advice to the A's going into this year, as this is a year for them to really bust out, what would that, what would that advice be? Wow, I guess just keep doing uh, what you're doing. 97 wins, that's that's pretty good. Uh, you got to look at uh, you know what I've been through the last what three years. It's uh, and so that's impressive. Uh, you know uh, what they're doing there, and you know you get to that wild card game, and you, know, you got it's a little bit of a crap suit. Uh, you got to have you know a pretty good pitcher out there, and we've been fortunate that Bumgarner. Uh, He's thrown two shutouts in those games, but yeah, you know, it's it's just it's a tough deal. And uh, uh, but yeah, I don't know how you change anything. You're, you're doing what you're supposed to do, and that's uh, win o- over 90 games to get there. And uh, you know, best way is to uh, win your division. That's a tough uh, division there with Houston in it. Now, I'm sure uh, and, and, you know the Angels are, are going to uh, get a lot better here too. So I'm sure that competition's going to. Uh, even be stronger this year for them, but they they have a good club, a great foundation, uh, great leadership. Uh, Melvin, I just think uh, he does a terrific job, and uh, so you know that's there's nothing uh, they should do any differently. You mentioned your guy who won so many big games for you, one of the great postseason pitchers of all time, and Mass and Baumgartner. What is it going to be like for you when you turn on that TV and you see him in an Arizona Diamondback jersey? Uh, it's going to be strange. No, no getting around that. Uh, you know, I, I'll get to see it in spring training, uh, actually before the season. So, you know, that, that, uh, helps soften the blow of seeing him change uniforms. But, uh, you know, I'm glad, you know, that he's happy. Uh, this man, you know, he did so much for me in the uh, course of giants and, uh, but still it's always strange to see one of your guys, uh, leave, but it's part of baseball and, uh, you know, that's, that's a choice that he had, and um, and he's happy with it, so I'm happy for him. Bruce, thank you so much for the time. You've always been one of the classiest guys, and you've always been good to us. We appreciate it. And have fun on Saturday because that lineup, you know, with you and your old catcher, Buster Posey, and Mark McGuire and Reggie Jackson and Dennis Eckersley and Marcus Simeon and Matt Chapman, boy, you guys got a big lineup on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, I tell you, Tony does a great job, doesn't he? And, uh, 
you know, it's no no surprise. Whoever Tony calls, I mean, they're they're going to be there for him. Uh, that's how much uh, he's loved and respected, and uh, that's why I'm there, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Bruce. Take care. Be well. All right. Thank you. We'll see you. Boats, truly one of the, the, the nice guys in baseball that I've ever covered from his years, whether it's in San Diego or San Francisco. If you don't subscribe to The Athletic and you're a baseball fan, you should. It's worth the money. And one of the reasons why is our friend Eno Saris does a great job covering baseball. Did an article about how three power teams in college baseball, Wake Forest, uh, Missouri, and Vanderbilt, how they utilize all this technology and data better than most Major League Baseball teams. And this is an article that they totally went into on MLB Network, on the show MLB Now. So uh, this is the type of thing a lot of people in baseball, they got a chance to read it, and they went, wow, this was a really good article. Here is our friend Eno Saris talking about his article in The Athletic. Uh, This article on college baseball and me being a former college baseball player made me feel good, you know, because everybody thinks, oh, it's just college baseball. No, college baseball is better than you think. And I, I really think this was one of your best articles uh, in, in a while. I mean, they're all good, but this this one, everybody around, I mean, they were referencing this on, on MLB Now on the MLB Network. This was really good stuff. Oh, yeah, thank you. And, I, and really what I wanted to say was, like, you know, in terms of tech and personnel and just know-how in terms of, you know, player development, you know, maybe not every, maybe not your average college, but like the top end colleges right now, the top end universities have outstanding tech. And there's something about a university that you you kind of, when you read that, maybe you said, oh, of course, because they have, they have professors and they have grad students and they have undergrad students that are just willing to work, you know, and want to put the time in and, and make a name for themselves. So you have all these undergrad students as resource you at wake forest you have a phd who's the head of a lab um you know with with all the resources behind her uh from a from a university hospital that wants to study pitching injury so you know they wake forest and mizzou and uh and vandy in particular um you know they've really got the best tech better than a lot of baseball teams uh and they've got really good uh you know research and they know how to use it and they, they mimic uh, per the best pro teams in terms of how it works, how, how the workflow goes and who talks to who. And, um, you know, it, it kind of works like a, a pro team. And so, uh, you know, a lot of those places have had, I've seen the results. So you've seen Vandy win it all last year, for example. Yeah, and, and as I was reading your article, and maybe a lot of baseball fans may not understand this, but you're talking about two SEC and one ACC. We're talking about these these schools playing these conferences that make a boatload of money off their athletic departments. Uh, they, they both have their own networks. There's so much money in college football, college basketball, and it filters to all the different sports. So when I, you know, your article makes such sense. When I think of like Wake Forest, when all of a sudden your partner, you know, these universities have hospitals. They have their own hospitals on campus. So when you're when yeah. you're when you're partnering, that's something that really professional sports teams can't do. You're partnering with the with the hospital, and some of these hospitals on campus are some of the best hospitals in the country. And then you have all these 
these students who are trying to become doctors, they start working for you for free and helping you out. And I think the thing for me, what's so different, is that they can look at all this data and they know how to use this data to where I wonder, all these baseball people, do they really know exactly the equipment, the technology that they're working with, and do they truly know how to implement it? Yeah, well, that's, I think that's a growing problem right now in pro and in universities. That's just the thing that happens anytime there's a new sort of trend. And, I, you know, I don't want to call tech a trend. We're, you know, it's going to be here forever. But, you know, when, anytime there's a new um, a way to differentiate yourself, there's a bunch of people who come to the forward who kind of speak the language but maybe don't know it all, uh, don't really understand it, or speak the language and know the tech and don't know how to coach. Uh, because coaching itself is a skill where you make a connection with the player, you know, you, you listen to the player, you understand what does the player need specifically, not just I have these ideas and I'm going to round down your throat. So, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an art to coaching, uh, there, there are people who, who know how to speak the language, but don't necessarily know all of the details. Uh, so there, you know, that's going to be filtered through in the next few years in pro and in college ball, where some of these coaches that are being hired now, and I, and I'm all, I'm pro like hiring these forward thinking, progressive tech, you know, data guys, I'm, I'm all into it, but there's going to be a separation of the guys who can really coach with that knowledge and the ones who just have the knowledge. You know, they, when they were talking about your article on MLB Now, Al Leiter is talking about his son, who is a freshman at Vandy, and he starts talking about with all the data that's out there, these young players, whether it's really young minor leaguers or the young kids in college, to them, this is their world. They understand it. It's not like older players now where you're like you're like giving them you're giving them this data and they've got to figure out whether they like it or not. These kids are growing up with it and can't get enough of it. Yeah, yeah, and I think it has a little bit to do. I think Lighter said something about, you know, they're on their phones, they live on their phones. This is something to that where, you know, the iPad that the coach has, you know, looks like their phone, looks like the stuff they look at, and the visualizations are familiar to them. Um, and also, you know, they kind of grow, you know, I think – uh, you know, younger people are now more into data. You know, they, they have jobs where they have to prove if they say something at a, at a meeting, they have to prove what, you know, what they say with data. Um, and, and so, you know, when they look at the coach and the coach says, you know, I think you should throw your flatter this way, sometimes it helps if the, if the coach can say, because, you know, X, Y, and Z throw their flatter this way, they have the same arm slot as you, or because look at this visualization. Uh, so a lot of that helps. But also, you know, I think it really helps if you're trying to make your slider better, you know, the whole, the whole key is to, to, to feel good about the right slider. So you're, trying, you're throwing slider in the bullpen, slider in the bullpen, and then the coach is sitting there next to you and he goes, that was a good one. And, and, and you want to say, okay, good. That's the good feeling. I want to repeat that good feeling. I want to do that again. And that's the time-old process of coaching. That's been, doing, that's been going, happening forever. What you can do with data, though, is you can see it. And so Trey Harris, who, who hits at Mizzou, he says, I love seeing the greens and the reds on the track, man, after I hit. And he gets that good feeling, and he knows that was a good hit because, you know, I saw the green and the red. I saw the 2,200 RPM. I'd never heard a hitter say that. But, you know, I saw the 2,200 RPM on, my, on the, the hit that I hit, and I felt good about it. That's what you want. You want, the, you want the immediate feedback where they say, oh, that was a good slider because it had the right spin rate, but that was a good slider. Let me try and get that, slide, that feeling again. 
you know, as a pitcher, you're always messing with different grips. And the thing that I love uh, 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 about all this data is if you throw a really good pitch and the data tells you that that's your best, you now know that's the right grip. And the reason why I'm saying this is because you only have so much you can throw as a pitcher off the mound. It's not like a hitter who can take endless swings in a cage, endless swing on a field. There's only so much you can work on as a pitcher to preserve your arm. So it's almost like if I can find the right grip and faster, then I know this is the one without putting more wear and tear on my arm. Yeah, the the most advanced player development teams in, in baseball, in pro baseball, what they have is a plan that goes to the coaches, and it says this pitcher, you know, he has these four pitches. This is his current movement on his four pitches. This is what we think we want from his four pitches in terms of movement. Here are the two or three grips and mechanical solutions. Here are the two or three cues that you could try with them. So the coach can stand next to him. Coach doesn't show him the whole thing. The coach can say, hey, we're working on your slider today. What we want to do is think about getting around the side of it. Try that first. Uh, that wasn't right. Okay. We want you to think about ripping through and really just spinning it. Just think about spinning it. Oh, that was the right one, you know? Um, so, yeah, you're right. There's only a limited certain amount of pitches you can throw. I think we've sort of come to the limit when it comes to the nine or ten pitches that, that, that people throw. Uh, but within those nine or ten pitches, there are better and worse. And so they just really have to, you know, optimize their pitch mix the best. It's kind of like Frankie Montas finding that splitter. You know, Emo is telling me, Frankie Montas is, is dominant. For the front two fingers are dominant because he's been throwing fastballs and sliders his whole life. Well, if your front two fingers are dominant, let me throw you. Let me show you a split finger, you know, because you you kind of throw those out of the front two fingers, but it kind of works like a changeup. And boom, we got Frankie Montas. And then you start going through some of this technology. I'd never even heard of dart fish. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I, I'm going to talk to that guy a little bit more, ex fatty who has dart fish, but I think it has something to do with. Uh, training uh, players to tell what a pitch type is earlier. Um, and I think it's something where, like, either they black out, they, they, they kind of they show you, uh, like, three seconds of a pitch or something, or one second of a pitch, or a millisecond, whatever it is. They show you a little bit of the pitch, and then they have to they tell you to try and guess what type of pitch type it was. Um, so it's a little bit about, like, how to train people to recognize pitches better. This stuff is all fascinating, and, and, it, and it truly is – changing the game but the one thing i will agree with al Leiter is this and al said this when they're once again they're going over your piece he goes in the end you still got to get outs like you can sit there and talk about how your spin rate you still got to go out there and get outs and that in the end our business is all about wins and losses so i don't think you can get don't wrap your like the end all end all is all of this in the end you still got to compete right yeah, no, I'm really uh, fascinated to see, what, for example, what Madison Bumgarner does uh, with his new team in Arizona because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, he's just the creation of uh, that park in San Francisco and, you know, his uh, strikeout rate is down and this and that. He's only a two-pitch pitcher, that blah, blah, blah. But in terms of competitiveness, uh, in terms of command, in terms of, you know, just, you know, honestly, red assery. <laughs> like, uh, you know, he goes out there and he just wants to win, and he has. You know, he has done it time and time again. Uh, and I kind of think that you got to bet on that a little bit. But there's kind of a, a, a continuum. The younger you are and the less that you've proven, the more I want to know your velocity and your spin rate. 
You know, the more I want to know about your max exit, exit velocity. I want to know about your raw skills. The longer you've been in the league, the more you've proven to me. You know, like, I don't think it's – when you draft Marcus Stroman, it might matter a little bit how short he is. By the time Marcus Stroman has pitched four or five years in the big leagues, it doesn't matter how, how tall he is. You know, he's shown you he can do it. So there's, a, there's sort of a, a push and pull there where, yes, the end all is getting all the outs, but if you're trying to gather the clay to make the best, uh, you know, to make the best team, like sometimes the, the raw stuff uh, matters a lot, and that can be kind of shaped into what you need. You know, last year at one point we looked into Chris Davis and said, what's going on? What's different? One thing that was different for him was definitely launch angle. Uh, when you looked at the three years of hitting 40-plus home runs, the only A ever to do that, and then you look at what happened last year, if you looked at it, did, what differences did you see? Yeah, it was the exit velocity and launch angle, and I think it was the hip injury. If you just look at the two graphs for his exit velocity and launch angle for the last four years, um, you know they had peaks and valleys, but the valleys are mostly when he got hurt. And what happened last year was, I don't know if it was because he's older or because the hip injury was pretty bad um, or what it was, but he never had the peaks that he had in, in previous seasons. He had that big valley when he got hurt, and when he came back, he was okay, but he'd never had that white-hot, you know, here come, you know, 15 homers in the next 40 games or whatever, you know? So it's like he never really took off. And I, and I blame it all on the hip injury. I think it was the hip injury. And I think probably, you know, when I look at him mechanically too, I saw some things that he was doing differently with his hands. Um, and, and I think he was basically just trying to deal with the injury. He was trying to, you know, trying to uh, just do as best he could, uh, given the fact that he's hurting a little bit. So I, I think that he, I'm not sure that we'll get vintage, you know, 247 average and 45 homers again from him this year. Uh, but I think it'll be a lot better than last year. And I think he's, he's actually, maybe the, sec- the player that's the second biggest uh, difference between what he did last year and what he's projected to do next year, the second biggest bounce-back player in baseball. Can you imagine what the A's offense will look like if he does make a full comeback? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was trying to figure out who I think will hit more homers, Matt Olson, uh, Matt Carpenter, or Chris Davis next year. And uh, that's a fun thing to try and figure out. I mean, if they all you know, hit near 40 homers, that's, that's a pretty awesome trio right in the middle of your lineup. Well, I, I to, to me, Matt Olson is a budding star. I, I I could see him being a 45 plus home run guy, especially if we're sticking with these baseballs. And obviously, he's the best defensive first baseman in the American League. You can make an argument. I mean, him or Freddie Freeman may be the best in the game, but that's always a big question, and which is probably really really tough for evaluators this off season is. What ball is going to be in play for 2020? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, especially with the, the, the postseason, it seemed like maybe they were using 2018 and 2019 balls at the same time. And, uh, you know, you saw the ups and downs. You saw a few, you know, long hits that you just assumed it would be homers because of how it was last year, and they weren't. Um, so, you know, I definitely think there's uh, some of the unknown there, and it's, it's, it's annoying for people who are – who uh, are looking into it because it doesn't, it's not a necessarily a thing where, okay, well, everybody will hit more homers, everybody will hit fewer homers. You know, a ball that flies more rewards opposite field homers more than pull homers. So, uh, you know, I think Chris Davis in particular uh, hits a lot of oppo homers when he's going well. And uh, some of those won't be there if the ball is different next year. But I just tend to assume, as best I can, that 
you know, it's going to be the same next year. I don't know. I can't assume any different. Um, and one thing I did want to mention, you were talking about the defense and Matt Olson and Freddie Freeman, these new defensive numbers for StatCast came out today, and Matt Olson is not only the best defensive first baseman in baseball by these new uh, metrics, he's like a top-five defensive player, period. And, so him and, and Chapman were both top ten, and it's pretty amazing. Yeah, we saw that before we came on, and we I haven't been able to read it because the, the, basically it was they only did it for the outfield, now they're doing it for the infield. And I've been saying this, and I'm on record. If I had to bet the next MVP for the Oakland A's, I'm putting my money on Matt Olson. No, I'm putting it on Chapman. <laughs> we should have a we should have a bet. Beers on me. Beers on one of us. All right, you know I'm into that bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean they're both great, and you know what's great is that they kind of pick each other up. They've been playing together forever. You know they really love each other. They're very different. Olson is kind of mellow and uh chapman is is just works harder than almost anybody i've ever seen um and and uh you know chapman and simeon fit together really well because simeon is better to his left and chapman uh helps him out on his right uh that's something that came out in these numbers today so you know this team just really fits together really well they, they did a good job of putting it together all right it's winter time we're dead a winter we're in january what beer have you switched to here in January? I'll do some more stouts in January. The problem is it's, uh, they're a little bit heavy in terms of calories and stuff. So what I'm really into are these new stouts that come in cans. So, you know, more and more of the stouts are coming in cans, and you can just drink 12 ounces of it. And, you know, I don't have too many people in the household uh, that are going to share a, uh, share a whole stout with me. So... Um, you know, I, it's hard to kind of remember right now off the top of my head who does this, but if you go to your local uh, place, there's, there's more and more stouts and cans, and that, that helps you sort of keep the calorie count down a little bit. Eno, you're the best. Keep up the great work. We'll talk to you soon, and Happy New Year. And always great to talk to you. Thanks a lot. You always got to end with a little beer talk with Eno, because Eno's not only a baseball guy, he's a beer connoisseur. Ray Fossey joins us every single week. We realized... You can't let Ray go for a full offseason. We got to talk to the man who's the two-time everything, World Series champ, gold glove winner, and all-star. Here's our buddy, our pal, the great Ray Fossey. Now joining us, two-time World Series champion, two-time all-star, two-time Rawlings gold glove winner, and the face of the franchise. Happy New Year, Foss. How are you? Howdy. Happy New Year, buddy. You're a good man. You're a good man. I always, you have to put Rawlings in there, too. But that was good. Yes, yes. You know what? I've got to get your address, and I'm going to give you mine, because we saw your Christmas card today, and I'm like, God, I didn't send Fossey a Christmas card, because I think there would be nothing better at the holidays than opening up a Christmas card from the great Ray Fossey. Well, I have to tell you, uh, my wife, Carol, does a tremendous job. Um the pictures are taken. Our daughters, Nikki and Lindsay, helped their mother put it together. And uh, the end result is what you received. And you deserve it. You're the best. And, uh, you know, I, I must admit, my, my voice, and I'm thinking as I was waiting for your call, the great Monty Moore said, you know, Ray, in spring training, you see those players out there getting themselves ready to play the game. He said broadcasters have to do the same thing because you have muscles in your throat that you have to get ready. So I'm getting ready, buddy. I'm getting ready. I've been talking a lot, so I'm getting ready. 
Is there ever a time you're not ready? <laughs> no, listen, it's, it's a long off season. Um, and I say that because, um, you know, it, it's nice to read people's comments saying, man, I can't wait for baseball to start. You know, we're all like that because, you know, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, I was able to play in Venezuela for three winters. So my season continued until spring training, which helped me tremendously. But, you know, now as a broadcaster and for fans, once the season ends and let's say it goes all the way to the World Series, you're still waiting about four months before the first actual game begins. Uh, spring training a little bit earlier. But, you know, it's a long time during that period of time without baseball. And, you know, it's it's perfect because of the weather across the country. It's bad, snow, et cetera. But uh, it, it is a perfect time of the year right now, Tony, because you think of right now, a couple of weeks away from Fan Fest, all the players, coaches, manager, it's going to be exciting time at Jack London Square, which I'm sure you're going to be there introducing everybody again. And then right after that spring training begins, the games begin, and lo and behold, in the end of March here, we start another season. So this is a great time of the year. Get through the Christmas and, and New Year's holidays. Get ready to go. Everybody's ready to go, and I'm definitely ready. So we want to get your opinion. We just talked to Bruce Bochy and want to get your opinion on it. Uh, we, we, we've had a really good grasp and idea of what's been going on with Houston, this investigation. Now you throw in the Boston Red Sox into the investigation after they already got popped in 17 and promised they'd never do it again. Well, then they start doing it again in 2018. Ray, what do you think needs to happen with these teams that have been stealing signs electronically? You know, I've always felt, and again, being a catcher, and we've talked about this before, if, if I am reluctant to concentrate on what I should be doing with my pitcher, it's on me if somebody at second base is really in a sign. But if you start to use technology, then that is something that nobody really can tell what's going on. And one of the things about the 17 Astros, they talked about, well, at home, but you think about having a camera. You can have somebody with a, with a handheld camera in center field. And so it could be done any place you're playing in reality because this technology. Personally, I'm looking forward to what Commissioner Manfred is going to do as far as punishment. And unless the punishment is so great, it's going to continue. But if, and just like you're talking about with the Red Sox in 17, you know, they got caught with the, the Apple Watch or whatever. And they said they weren't going to do it again. They supposedly did it again in 18 when coincidentally they won the World Series. And even more coincidental, their manager was a bench coach for A.J. Hinge in Houston 2017. So, you know, there, there's too many uh, coincidences there. And, and again, I'm not implying that, that the Red Sox or, you know, Alex Cora, who managed them in 18 when they won the World Series, was, was doing anything. But if the punishment is not so great that teams – feel that if we do it and get caught, we're really going to catch it, then it's not going to be worth it. The commissioner has to lay down punishment to where everybody in baseball is going to see what he's doing. I mean, it's all on him right now, I think, because it, what he is doing, he is setting the standard for the future with regard to using technology. And it's got to be a, a, a punishment that people are going to look at. And, and I think he's going to come down hard. I really do. And I think it's going to be deserved if – all these emails and all these uh, interviews that they've had, and it shows. And again, I'll reiterate what I said in our last conversation for Christmas. I admire what Mike Fires did. And I saw recently where Carlos Correa, 
said at an autograph session when asked about that. He says, you know, well, we're a team and we did this. I'm sorry, because if you leave that team, that doesn't mean that when you go in to play that team, that you're going to be telling what was happening when you were there as, as a member of that team. So that's where I think players, managers, coaches, teams have to be, they have to be careful because they don't know what's going to happen to a player that's on that team. If you could assume and assure that 25 man roster is going to be there every year. Yeah, you could do it. If you, you know, not worry about it, but there's such a turnover of personnel that it's going to happen. And, and again, I commend Mike fires. He's going to take a lot of heat, but if what he said is true and you have no doubt that because he's not going to come out and say that if it's not, then, you know, you have to look at that as being someone who stood above everybody else and said, Hey, if this needs to stop, this is not right. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that. And even if the shoe was on the other foot, I'd be with you. Like, Hey, if you're going to cheat hey, don't, and remember Mike fires was not on that playoff roster. Mike fires led them in everything, but he was not, he didn't pitch in the world series he was not on the roster. Right. He doesn't owe them anything. Exactly. No, I agree. And, and, and you know, and I, I've said it before, Tony, that let's say when I left Cleveland to, to Oakland, the first thing I did when we played the Indians is look at the third base coach to see if the same signs were being used. They weren't because inevitably, I know during my period of time, and I'm sure it still goes on, that if a player leaves a team and goes to another team, when you play that team again, the first thing you say is, so-and-so was with us last year, we have to change the signs. And you should change them anyway uh, all the time. But, you, you know, there's so much and too much emphasis now being put on sign stealing, signs in general, that I think it's affecting the game of baseball because you're seeing pitchers uncertain of what they're throwing, catchers even more uncertain of what's being thrown to them. And I think it's taken away from the game the way it should be played, and that's in play Level field, everybody, and we know what I'm talking about in the past with the level field, it's the same thing now because you can't do it. And then coincidentally, you have two teams, one the Astros in 17 and the Red Sox in 18, both world champions and both now being implicated a little bit about sign stealing. That doesn't stand right because of the teams that they played to get there and the team they beat to win the World, win the world Series. Yeah. The both times, but. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one thing if it's like the the White Sox, the Mariners, the Padres, bad teams doing it. But what's a really bad look for the commissioner? A, they're showing no respect for him, and B, exactly. it's back-to-back World Series champions. Absolutely. And and that's why I think Tony that I I'm you know, I know the the management people with the Astros. I know AJ Hinch cuz he played with the A's. But, you know, something's got to be done. And I don't want to see anybody uh, have to take a hit, but it starts at the top. And, you know, if things are going on, it has to it, it filtrate throughout the system. And when you have front office people uh, having scouts look at certain things via binoculars, I mean, scouts are in the stands to watch the game. You know, you don't put a binocular on a manager or a third-base coach and, and try to figure out what signs they're using because – that is going against basically what a scout is for. And if, if all of that happened, the front office, then, you know, something's got to be done. And I, I think within a couple of weeks, it's going to happen. I, I think we're going to hear it. Um, whether it be an appeal process, I don't know. But the commissioner basically has a right to do anything he wants to. And you go back to 1919, whenever there was that court hearing with the Black Sox scandal and they were acquitted, 
the judge, Kennesaw Landis, was writing a statement saying those guys will never play baseball again. So the power of the commissioner is there because the owners give it to him. And I, I think something drastic has to happen, and I think we're going to see it whenever the commissioner does come down with his final decision. Do you see any big moves? I've been talking about the big four out there, Arnado, Lindor, Chris Bryant. I mean, these guys, there's some, there's some big names still out there who – uh, Mookie Betts, who potentially get traded. Do you see any big moves happening before spring training starts? Not really, because, Tony, I think with the names that you're talking about, you think about what the team acquiring them is going to have to give up. Take, take Arenado, for, for example. How much are the Rockies going to pay? I mean, he's still owed over a couple hundred million dollars. And plus, you're, you're taking a uh, multi-platinum glove winner at third base in the National League. You acquire him. What do you give up? I mean, I don't know that teams are really going to deplete their system. And, and from what I'm reading is that the teams that are willing to trade these guys want major league ready players, which is perfect because it's not taking somebody to trading deadline, trading them, knowing that they're going to be a free agent in two months and getting prospects who may or may not make it. I mean, you're taking quality major league players who are out there and being offered and unless the team that is trading them or trying to trade them can receive what they want, which is a major – I mean, think of the fans in those cities. To think of Chris Bryant and the Cubs. I mean, he's, he's well-known there. Now, he supposedly has this pending uh, arbitration with regard to his service time and all that. Could become a free agent you know, earlier than you know, what was originally thought of. Uh, but Aaron Otto and the Rockies, he, he's a lifetime Rockie. And, you know, also – I think Aaron Otto may have a no trade, um, which that factors in also, Tony, because let's say a player does have a no trade. I mean, they could do all they want, just like when uh, Giancarlo Stanton, and he told his agent, tell, I think it was the Giants and the Cardinals, he said, I'm not going to sign. I'm not going to be traded them. I'll, I'll refuse the trade. They did it anyway. He ends up going to the Yankees. So when a player is given a no trade clause, a no trade contract, he basically controls his destiny. And uh, more power to him if he can get it. But if you're going to get over a couple hundred million dollars to play a position, uh, you can demand what you want. And I think in the case of a few of those guys, now Mookie Betts is going to arbitration again. He's already making 20 eligible arbitration last year. And how much more is he going to be a Mike Trout player? Um, is Chris Bryant, you know, is his, uh, are his numbers going to continue? I mean, they, they weren't, haven't been that good the last couple of years. Uh, Arenado is going to play defense. I don't think Coors Field really has helped him overly uh, as far as home runs and being a hitter. He's, he's a player. I mean, I would think if anybody player uh, is traded and it's Arenado, whoever gets him is going to get one heck of a player who loves to play the game. I just saw a video recently that said Arenado has no offseason. He's taking batting practice. You know, these guys can afford to do it, and they get a gym, they get a batting cage or make their, their own, and they work out 24-7 basically all year round. I mean, it's just unbelievable what they can do. But, uh, you know, back to the original, I think when we're down in Arizona, I think we're going to be saying, yep, uh, they're still out there, and I don't think anything's going to happen. So when I start thinking about bounce-back players, and we're seeing all these different lists, you know, oh, here's the bounce, my, my nine bounce pack. Every single article <laughs> I see has Chris Davis in it. Not, not, not Chris That's Davis right. of Baltimore with a C. Yeah. Our Chris Davis with a K. Now that you've had time to think about it, what do you think really went wrong with Chris Davis? And then how does he get it back? 
Well, I'm going to preface it by saying, let's hope that the injury he sustained in Pittsburgh on that Sunday afternoon started it, and he never really recovered from it. Tried to play through it, ended up going the IL, came back, never really did it. I hope that that was the reason that his numbers tailed off. Uh, my real concern, and it's with anybody, and, and I'm just saying this about Chris Davis because we see him every day. Over the course of, he had over 43 consecutive years. And then all of a sudden, you start looking players around him. Do you want to pitch to Chris Davis? Or you want to take your chance with him and pitch to somebody else? Can Chris Davis be pitched to? And, and again, I'm just using his name. But the more you play, the more that other teams can look at your deficiencies. And let's say it's one part of the plate that he's not reaching, they're going to stay there. It's like, Tony, and again, I don't like the reference when I played, but bottom line, until I could hit a certain pitch, I kept getting it. So let's say I couldn't hit a curveball. I get a fastball off the plate to try to tempt me, but I would get a curveball. And until I proved I could hit that curveball, I was going to continue to get it. And I think with any player today, it was a deficiency in his approach and the position on the plate where he's being pitched. If he can't hit that spot and, and hit it like he's done for the, the three consecutive years, he's got to adjust to that position. And again, I'm just using Chris Davis. It could be anybody that's in baseball. These comeback players, um, it, it's probably more of how they're being pitched. In the case of um, Upton with the Angels, he was hurt because of his toe. But you throw Rendon in there, and now you had Rendon to Trout and Pujols and these other players, that all of a sudden Upton is, a, is a probably a much better hitter. And maybe he's going to get pitches he didn't see last year when he came back because of the addition of Anthony Rendon. So, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons players um, have a bad year. I mean, look at Josh Donaldson. He was hurt, came back, come back player of the year. So Josh Donaldson was playing on a one-year contract too. So, you know, what, what we're hoping with any player that if they have a long-term contract is that they have enough pride that they want to continue to play the way they did play to get the contract. And, uh, but I think you factor in a lot of things. And, and let's hope that, as I said previously, that the injuries sustain and try to play through. And I give him a lot of credit for trying to play through something that's hard, especially in the rib cage. And then they end up going on the IL coming back. And so, you know, there's a lot of things. And let's hope when uh, Chris Davis reports to Mesa, Arizona, starts spring training, he's back to where he was health-wise. And then I think we're going to see the real Chris Davis. And that's going to be a plus for the entire organization. And there's always the question, what baseball are we going to be playing with next year? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Uh, you know, we could probably, you know, if, if you take one in spring training that they're going to use in a game and you bounce it and it bounces over your head, that's not good. Because <laughs> <laughs> that means you're going to take it out to a golf course, as Joe Madden said, and stamp tightness on it and hit it. But uh, it, they they have to be softer. And, you know, you know the, the one thing about offense, remember 1968 when Bob Gibson had the 1.12? They said, no, we've got to get some offense. So they, they, they um, lowered the mound and, and tried to get more offense. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of offense now. But it, it's all it's like the re three results. What do they call it? The, the strikeout, the home run, or the walk. And, you know, it's, it's something that the launch angles, because, you know, the old thing about home runs get you contracts. And uh, uh, I, I still am a proponent of, 
someone being a complete player because 600 plate appearances and 40 home runs, you're a superstar, but there's a lot of 560 plate appearances. You'd like to see somebody do something other than try to get a home run. And unfortunately, I think the way the game is going because of home runs being hit, more strikeouts than ever, more home runs than ever, that's not a good combination because the game of baseball should be, even though offense is, is important, it should be a pitcher's duel. It should be defense. There should be more to the game of baseball than just swing as hard as you can and, and pitch it on as hard as you can. Well, it's all about getting 27 outs, playing defense. How do you get those That's 27 it. outs? That's how you win games. And, you know, Tommy, I've said it before, and I, I really believe it. And people say, well, A's aren't active. They don't have to be. And I, I think that's what the beautiful thing about what Keith Lippman did for 50 years. Ed Spray Jr. now has taken over as director, uh, farm director, and, and uh, Eric Kubota, scouting director, and all scouts out finding these players. Because you think about teams, for example, trying to sign, well, one just signed Rendon. you got, what, three or four teams thinking about Josh Donaldson. He's a free agent. The A's have Matt Chapman. They developed him in the system. He came up, and he's a back-to-back uh, platinum gold glove, uh, platinum uh, glove winner. And Matt Olson at first base, back-to-back gold gloves. You know, at shortstop, Marcus Simeon, as good as anybody at shortstop, still waiting to see what happens at second base. You look at the outfield. You look at Sean Murphy catching. I mean, this is a solid ball club. And then you talk about the pitching, the starters, five quality starters, maybe six, if not more. So you don't necessarily have to go out and try to do things if you don't need things. And I think the A's are in a beautiful position, an envious position around baseball that I would think general managers would look and say, man, we don't have to pay, you know, somebody $200 million to play a position because they've developed them. Or the A's don't have to because they've developed them. And that's, that's the importance getting back to, again, our conversation about minor league baseball, developing players. You need to have that so you don't have to worry about spending a quarter of a billion dollars for a player and hope that he does well you've got somebody that you at least have six years. And if you can't re-sign him, he goes elsewhere, you develop somebody else. But it takes those minor league teams and the drafts to be able to show these players, give them a chance to play. And I think the A's are fortunate that they've been able to develop so many good players that they can roll over those players if they do lose them, which nobody wants to lose certain players. But the bottom line, if you can develop players in your system and bring them up, you're going to continue to have success in the A's in that position right now. Foss, you are the best, my friend. We're getting close. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be so nice. It's going to be so nice because it's a, it's a beautiful time of the year. You got sunshine, you got warm weather, and you got baseball. The sound of the bat, the green grass. And, uh, you know, Tony, the thing about spring training, you know, I've said all along, if you've never been to spring training, once you go, you'll go back every year. And you know that yourself because you're down there and enjoying it. And uh, I know you do a lot of work when you're down there. That's the most important thing. People should understand you're not down there just having a good time. You're working hard. Yeah, I'm down there having a good time. <laughs> Who are you kidding? <laughs> oh, you're a good man, Tony. <laughs> we'll talk to you next you're week. Hey, tell Cody hello. Cody's the best. Cody, say hello to Foss. Foss, Happy New Year. Hope everything's well. Hey, Happy New Year to you, Cody. Just keep making Tony. Keep propping him up, buddy. Keep making him look good. I'll do that. Just because you asked Foss, I'll do it just for him. <laughs> All right, Cody. Tony, best to you, my friend. Doesn't get any better than Foss, and that's why we have him on every single week. Wednesday is Rays Day. Well, the Boston Red Sox got in trouble for using Apple Watches back in 2017. And at that point, once they were punished by the commissioner, well, they told the commissioner, we promise we'll never do it again. Well, now 
Supposedly they were doing stuff in 2018, and it makes the commissioner look bad. Here's Julian McWilliams from the Boston Globe talking about another scandal for the Boston Red Sox. Julian, hope you had a great holiday. Happy New Year. Happy 2020. How are you, buddy? Good, man. Thanks to you guys. Thanks for having me again. How was your holiday? Good? Yeah, they, they were good. Hey, so Rob Manfred said back in the day, after he punished the Boston Red Sox for using Apple Watches, he said yep. that he was absolutely assured the Red Sox will not do anything like this in the future. What's going on with Boston in 2018? I mean, I think everything that you've read, you know, the most interesting thing, I think, that goes back to Rob Manfred that I'm, you know, that I, that you're that you're alluding to is that that he said, look, this can't happen again, right? And that was essentially, you know, uh, just a, a memo to the league in in total. And then you go by, you go back, and you have the situation in Houston, and then you have the situation with the Red Sox. It's basically, you know, they're basically disrespecting the commissioner. So if if this turns out to be true, like he has to come down hard on 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 the Red Sox too because. Clearly, this is is something that's uh, that's a serious issue, and and might and like I've been reading, it might be widespread. It's just not the Red Sox and Astros, and it just can't become a league thing because you know stealing people signs that's that's a little crazy. You know, from from a digital standpoint, that's that's it's pretty wild. Yeah, as of right now, you have seven percent of your business being investigated. Uh, you keep adding teams up there, the percentages will jump up so fast that are scary. And I'm glad you said it. You said it perfectly because I, I I just said this before we brought you on. You're making the commissioner look bad. You're making him look soft. You're making him look exactly. like a fool. You're making it look like he has no control over the game. If he came after you in 17 and you did it again in 18, you're showing zero zero respect. Zero. And I think the situation with Cora is is particularly interesting because you go back to the Houston situation. They were saying, you know, look. Cora and Beltron, they're really close. They're really close friends, right? And they're saying like they were the kind of the, the the people that really like spearheaded this this whole thing in Houston. And you kind of look at that as like uh, I don't know if that's necessarily true. You know, that's pretty hard to put on like a on on a on a co- on a bench coach and a player. But then you look at the situation and it follows Cora now to Boston, and it's like hmm. So maybe he did have a lot to do with this. I mean, you, you really – he in his case, he really, really looks bad. He really looks like a cheater in this case because it's, it's followed the two past World Series winners prior to Nationals winning this year. That's a big deal. Yep, and if Cora learned it in Houston and Cora took it to Boston – who knows? I mean, we've heard about Milwaukee. We've heard about other teams. I mean, at some point, the paying customer has to believe that what they're paying for is on the up and up. And if, like like you even kind of mentioned, this could be widespread. This is a bad look going into 2020. Yeah, and I think the, the most interesting thing, too, is a lot of players are, like, really hush-hush about this. So it makes you to believe, like, okay, so – Maybe this is a thing internally that we that you know people are actually doing this. People know that they're doing this. You know that they're, they're gonna have to go through more sequences of signs and get more creative. Like you look, the, the Red Sox now they have a they have a, a thing where they look, they step off the mound and they look in their hat for um, a different sequence of signs just to make sure that the opponent isn't picking it up. So clearly those thoughts are on the heads of the Red Sox 
and 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 clearly those it's a thought that's been widespread across the league. I think you saw um, one one instance with uh, with um, um, Gary Sanchez of the Yankees with the Astros this year. He pointed to Tanaka to look in his hat for a different sequence of signs because he felt like they were onto something. So this is something that we've seen throughout throughout um, throughout the past two years, but it keeps pointing back to Houston and and the Red Sox. And who's part of Houston and the Red Sox? Alex Cora. What has to so, happen? What, what what do you think has to happen to get this to stop? Man, I think you have to have come down with significant fines, uh, suspensions. But I don't even think players should even be allowed, really, to go back into the tunnel like that. You know, like a lot of these guys, they really go back into the tunnel during the games. You see it all the time. I know it's something that's been going on, but like with the with the increase of of, of technology and replay and everything else like that, and 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 it just being so close to access for these players in terms of them just being accessible to all this stuff, I really think they need to tone down some some of some of them going back and looking. And, and, you know, I'm going to go to my locker. I'm going to go, no, you need to be out on the field. I think that's the one thing that they need to, they need to put in a mandatory rule where you need to be out on the field. But, but from, a, from a legality standpoint or just from a, from a standpoint of what the league should do in terms of punishment, I think there need to be fines. I think there need to be suspensions. I think there need to be draft picks taken away. This can't happen. And, and you know, stealing signs um, from second base is one thing during the, during the, the flow of the game. But if you're doing it from an from a electronic base, um, uh, like from from a, from electronic based uh, type of type of thing. That's 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 something that's totally different. That can't happen. Yeah, I totally agree. And it, it's like you got to take the job away from somebody. I'm not saying necessarily ban somebody for life, but as yeah. you said, if a manager has to sit out half a season and he loses that paycheck and he loses that time, it'll make people start to realize, or maybe even a full year that, okay, now we're serious. And if you're going to do this and you get caught, you know, because the next thing that we see, whether it's coming down on Houston or it's coming down on Boston or both, this will be the precedent that will be set for years. Right, right. And somebody, you have to make an example out of somebody. And, you know, I don't know how MLB goes about proving the, um, the Red Sox thing because it seems a little bit more difficult to prove that. But in terms of Houston, you have all the video evidence. You have the banging of the trash cans. You have, you know, you have uh, 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 the whistling. There, there has to be that's, – that's clear evidence of cheating. And I think the league has to come down hard on them. They, they said they should be known in, like, the next couple of weeks. So we'll see what they do. Mookie Betts, we talked to you at the winter meetings. You felt that he was going to stay in Boston this year. Uh, spring training's right around the corner. You still feel the same way? Yeah, I still feel this. I still feel that way, man. I feel like he'll at least be here through um, uh, uh, through the trade deadline. I think that's something they may have to revisit down the trade uh, the, when the trade deadline comes around because I don't know. Just like we were talking about, I don't know how much value you get back from him. If you feel like your team that's close, maybe the Dodgers go for it if they can't get a Lindor. But for now, the people that I've spoken to, it's 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 they're they're trying to figure out other avenues and ways to to shed salary. Yeah, because what do you think he's going to get in arbitration? Around thirty million? Oh man, like twenty-seven, twenty-eight million, something like that. And I think he's. In fact, the deadline's on Friday, so I think we'll find out on Friday whether, um, you know, he'll either go to to the arbitration, uh, go to the actual arbiters, or they settle on something. But it's around twenty-seven, twenty-eight million dollars. Yeah, because that's the thing. If if if, if I'm a trade for a guy that's going to get paid almost thirty million dollars, and he could be gone next year. 
why the hell would I give you any top prospects? Exactly. Exactly. Like I wouldn't, I would never give up a say like, so we could, we could bring it to an A's um, uh, perspective, a, a Sean Murphy or something like that for somebody I know it's going to be a rental. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, it can put you in a significant pay hole and it can put you, put you in a significant uh, uh, unload on those prospects. That just doesn't seem like the prudent thing to do. Yeah, and that'd probably be pretty tough for Hein Bloom. Your first, you know, your first major move is trading away the best player. For some reason, I don't think that goes over real well in Boston. Nah, I mean he's and so far he's kind of made these these small moves, right? He's made the moves for like the Kevin Ploweckis and all these other guys that really never really hear about. And I don't, I don't, and, and Sox fans are can can pretty ticked off about that. So it might be a season of like, Hey, like we're just going to make these small trades and see what we got going into next year. But I know they're trying to, they've been trying to uh, get rid of not, not to trade for trade David price. And, and if maybe attach somebody to him, that's another way he's do like 96 million over the next three years. He's 34 years old. So he's kind of a little bit over, a little bit over the hump. So um, that's, that's one way they're thinking about it. They're probably going to trade Jackie Bradley jr. Or at least I feel they're going to trade Jackie Bradley jr. He's due for $11 million in arbitration. Um, so there's ways they can get shed some money without trading Mookie Betts. It's just a matter of if those teams are willing to give up what they want to give up, considering the age of, of, of David Price and that Jackie will also be a free agent at the end of the next season. You got to watch David Price all last year. If you were a GM, would you take on that money? That's a lot, man. That's a lot. I mean, look, when he's out there he, and he's healthy, he's good. The problem is he's pitched so many innings, he, and, he, and he can't really get past, like, the fifth or sixth inning now. Um, you know, granted, he had, the, he had a uh, wrist issue last year. Um, he's had elbows, elbow issues in the past. His velocity's gone down. I mean, the guy knows how to pitch. But, I mean, if you're a team that you, you need somebody, maybe a, a third or fourth starter, maybe, but for that amount of money – I don't know, man. I think they're going to have to – the Red Sox going to have to figure out a situation where they split and pay with another team because I don't think the team takes that on in full. Maybe 15 to $16 million a year, but for $30 million at 34 and have to give up trade uh, – um, trade uh, have to give up some of your prospects and players, I don't think that's, that's really smart. You know, down in, in L.A., Andrew Friedman's been running the Dodgers differently, and it's one of the reasons yeah. why they brought him in. But now, after winning 106 games and bowing out to the Nats and really doing nothing in free agency other than Blake Trinan, there's a lot of L.A. fans who are like going, hey, we're not the Rays. We're the Dodgers. Start acting like it. I wonder if that will happen in Boston to where the Red Sox are used to, hey, we go for the World Series every year. We got the highest ticket prices. You know, look at our cable deal. They're making a ton of money. You know, Hein Bloom, at some point he's gonna have to. He's, he he can't act like he did in, in Tampa. Would you agree with that? Uh, a thousand percent. And you're starting to hear it already from Red Sox fans. They're calling. In fact, they're calling me like, "Wow, I didn't know we were the Tampa Bay Red Sox." Like, that's like <laughs> now the nick. That's now the nickname for this for the for the uh, for the team right now because it's like they're 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 going after all these guys that you don't really hear of and. You really can't do that in these big markets for long. And it's going to be interesting to see what Heim Bloom does with money because, like, it's one thing to get praised for a team with, that you do little with. But when you're expected to do when – when you have the money in front of you and it's like, okay, go out and get, and go out and get some players, you know, you need, to, you need to go out there and produce. And that's going to, that's going to, be, that's going to be the, 
the the deciding factor, the facts on his on in, in his tenure here in Boston is just how he does. And I think the real big thing is just how he manages this Mookie situation. That's the biggest thing is like how do you go about uh, trying to lock up this guy for the next ten to twelve years, or or however long that you know him and his agency, or, or how can you guys come to an agreement that'll make Sox fans happy and make your front office happy? Because this is a generational talent. And you just can't part ways with that. I think he knows that. And I think that's why he's being so structured and calculated in ways in which he goes about this whole thing. Will the Tampa Bay Red Sox use the opener for uh, opening day? Probably, man. Like, it's, 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 it's feeling very much like people, people talk about, um, like, hey, man, like the Red Sox haven't experienced this before. You know, they haven't experienced, we've never been through a season like this. And I'm like, hey, I got guys, I got you guys covered, man. I know all about the opener. I know all about like uh, uh, finding wins within the margins from working from being with the A's. So, you know, if you guys need help on this, I'm your guy. <laughs> I mean, and it's crazy because, uh, you know, now that football season is over in New England, you know, it, so much is going to turn to the Red Sox and the attention that the Red Sox get. It's like none other. Uh, by the way, speaking of that. What is it like in New England right now? Rumors of Tom Brady could be going to the L.A. Chargers. He could be going to the Las Vegas Raiders. What's it like there in Beantown? Man, I mean, they're losing their guy, right? I don't think he comes back. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you – I just I just think he's gone. I mean, he put his house up for sale. I know people say that, like, hey, he's been here 20 years, but – it's kind of like the, the, the passing, like the, the end of an era. And, I, you know, I think Boston fans, they, 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 before last week, they kind of prepared themselves for it a little bit. When he signed that one-year deal, I believe it was. I'm, I'm not the biggest football guy, but when he signed that one-year deal that allowed him to be a free agent, I think they were like, okay, maybe this can be his last season. They kind of prepared themselves for it. But, like, the way they went out against, against the, the Titans – I don't think anybody expected that. You know, you usually expect them to say, oh, where the Patriots are done, the Patriots are done, and then they go out and win a Super Bowl. But when you get knocked out in the first round, in the, first, in the, in the, in the wild card game, and Derrick Henry goes off, and Ryan Tannehill only throws with 9 of 15 or something like that, and then you have know, the pick six at the end, that's, that's pretty tough. So I don't think they expected that, but, you know, I think they knew that the Brady era was coming to a close at some point. And that's going to be rough for a lot of people there because you want to talk about a beloved athlete, and rightfully so, all the winning that he's done there. But you know what's crazy, too, is you know you think about the cheating that the, the Patriots have done, and they're about to get reprimanded right. again. Right, right. I mean, it's like, what's, what's in the water here in Boston, man? I don't know what's going on. This is a lot of, it's a lot of cheating in the uh, – you know, um, you know, reportedly, um, Alex Cora has seen the pickup where Bill Belichick left off. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. When, when, when do you head down to spring? Uh, February 8th. February, I'll be, February 8th, I'll be down there. I, I was telling everybody, I've been spoiled because everything in Arizona is like 25 minutes away. And I was staying in Scottsdale. And, but now everything, in, I'm, now I'm staying in Fort Myers and everything's like two hours away. So it's like, long hikes to these other stadiums so we'll see how that goes yeah that's why they call the cactus league the best league because the grapefruit league unless you're in a training facility with somebody else i mean no one's really around each other it's kind of weird yeah yeah i would be my first time experiencing it so I'll, I'll, I'll be in for a treat i was talking to um dan hayes of um 
he covers the Minnesota Twins for the Athletic, and he was saying, finally, I have somebody to, to hang out with. So I don't know how much there is to do in Fort Myers, but, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what I got. I can tell you it's not downtown Scottsdale. <laughs> I know that. I know that. I'm prepared for that. <laughs> All right, buddy. Be well. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Anytime. Can't wait to see how this is going to go down for the Houston Astros, the Boston Red Sox, and maybe there could be other teams. But back-to-back years, electronic cheating for the Red Sox, and you're making the commissioner look bad after you promised him, that's not a good look. We want to thank Bruce Bochy. We want to thank Eno Saris, Ray Fossey, and Julian McWilliams. Thank you for listening to A's Unfiltered. Now back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.